Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another week of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined, as always, by an amazing panel. I'm actually not going to be sticking around today. I just uh, tested positive for COVID. My wife has it as well, so I'm kind of taking care of her. And uh, I'm going to take it a little easy today. But with that being said, I'm going to hand it over to a very qualified panel of uh, Spartan Grown, Matthew, Dr. MJ, Tao, and Kyle Breeder here. And uh, I guess I'll kick it first to Spartan Grown and let you guys take it away. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, Jack. Hopefully you get better, man. It's not fun to play with that shit for sure. Yeah, take care, buddy. Take care. Uh, I'm Spartan. I guess I'll introduce myself. I'm Spartan Grown. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Spartan Grown, all one word. Um, there's a lot of fake accounts trying to duplicate my name. So make sure it's Spartan Grown, all one word. You'll find me that way or uh, Spartan Grown at gmail.com either way. And uh, I can help you with uh, your growing questions, your cannabis growing questions anyway. I guess okay. I'll just kick it to them. We don't have anybody to host. It's a yeah, no, he, host. he went away. It. He went. Yeah, yeah I'm going to push it over to Matthew Gates after me. Then how's that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's Matthew Gates. I'm a pest management specialist. Um, YouTube is letting me know. Don't forget, you're the moderator for this channel. Um, that's a new thing that I'm looking at right now. Better watch if you're out, interested, boys and girls. <laughs> Matthew Gates is the uh, moderator. Yeah, you better watch. I better come correct. But he's um, cues. Yeah, I uh, so yeah, pest mitigation, pests, that sort of thing. We'll probably do a big Q and A. I imagine talk with the chat like we always do. Um, so I am excited to do that. Uh, next one is going to be Dr. Coco. What's up? Hey, hey, hey! We got this. Uh, we got the spotlight view going. Are you the one that has to change that? So it yeah, he's like... going to hit it to gallery view on Zoom. Right? I am. Yeah. So uh, let me change to gallery. Right. Yeah, otherwise right. my face is like entirely too large on the screen and I'm like, I'm going to speed back here. <laughs> All right, cool. Hey, I am Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. I am excited to be here. Um, sad that Jack got sick. Um, but hey, you know, it's the holiday season. I hope everybody's doing well. We're gearing up for the New Year's Grow Challenge. So I want everybody to to join in this is gonna be the last show that we do before the new year's grow challenge next week is christmas day and then following week is new year's day guys we're running right into the end of the year so anyways hope it's a good show today and happy to see everybody here and i'll pass it over to tau the american one dr mj thank you matthew gates martin pure breeding it's good to see everybody it's good to see everyone in chat i am the american one uh, on YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Keens on the IG. Most of you know me and know you can find me on the IG. So just hit me up if you want to ask me anything or whatever. And uh, yeah, it's always good to be here talking about cannabis and uh, figuring out stuff. It's always awesome. So Godspeed on uh, Jack getting better, whatever's ailing him. I hope it's just a uh, false positive and uh, he feels better tomorrow. Yeah. There we go. Thanks. And last right. we have uh, Kyle. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Uh, for the panel and whoever's listening, I just want to give a sincere apology. Uh, I've just been like a lot of things going on in my life right now, and uh, I just haven't been able to manage it that well. Uh, so I've, I've missed a few shows, and uh, I'm just trying to keep keep it all together. Uh, so anybody that is listening and the panel, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to try and make it make some changes. Uh, but yeah, I'm Kyle Breeder. Uh, if you are looking for feminized seeds and reg seeds coming soon, uh, I have a website, purebreeding.com. 
You can find me on Instagram at pure underscore breeding. Facebook is Kyle Breeder. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach out if you have breeding questions or you just want to chat it up or, or anything, feel free to reach out and uh, yeah, happy to be here. So, I mean, with that, you know, uh, I guess we should open up the chat for questions. Um, unless anyone else has something interesting to talk about, we should. Well, we did have an early question in chat. Um, I'm going to try to dig it up again. Uh, I can't remember who said it, but they wanted to know. They heard that your name was Matthew Gates, and they want to know if there was any relation to Bill Gates. No, it's uh, Antonio Gates. <laughs> oh, Antonio. Nice. Antonio yeah. Gates. Yeah. That's, no. the better, the, that's the better one to be. Probably. Probably right. Yeah. Yeah. A, you know, a little bit less money, but a lot more street cred. <laughs> yeah. Or Horatio Gates, if you want to make that reference. There you go. I like that. Yeah. Too. That's 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 going way back. Great questions, guys. Good. <laughs> well, High quality question chat questions. questions. <laughs> <laughs> great questions we got going so far. So yeah, chat, you're going to have to help us out a little bit here. Jack kind of dropped us, you know, and we usually depend on Jack so much. This is, this will show you how valuable sort of Jack is because we're all like, uh, what are we talking about now that Jack's not here? <laughs> um, so hit us up with some questions. We'll be happy to, to answer them and we'll do the best to not sort of crash this ship into the rocks while Jack's getting better. I mean, I yeah. can, today I did a little bit of growing stuff. I got the packages right over here to my left. I packed up three more packages for different people who uh, have reached out and wanted to test some of the those crosses those vortex crosses i made so i don't know how many more i'm going to send out I'm, i've got a decent amount out right now but uh yeah if there's anybody interested in wanting to test vortex f2s which i'm just calling project b project vortex uh hit me up and uh i've got a few more that i could probably send out if you're interested um, i've also got a few crosses that i've hit a few of my keepers with so if that's something you're interested in, hit me up at spartangrown at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, I'm probably going to send out a few more. I, I'd like to get a, a nice range of different growers and different environments to grow it so I can get an idea of how they perform in a lot of different, because I can't really duplicate all that at once in my own setting. I love that name, Spartan, Project V. Thank you. Yeah, see, because I just want to avoid that's any cool. conflict with... Because, you know, that's kind of yeah. when that when, when sub died, there was, you know, kind of two groups, you know, you got um, his ex and then um, uh, I can't even think of their name now, but the people that were running his company for him. And I don't want to run into any issues with names well, and stuff. So I just call it Project V and I'm not going to ruffle any feathers. I just want the genetics out there. That's really it was one of my favorite strains. So that's. I'm not really concerned. <laughs> so that's, that's what I said. Are you saying about. that you're renaming people's strains? The thing that no, we I'm, always talk what about. What I'm saying is, is I'm, I'm not going to get into any <laughs> copyright or legal issues by using the name that they've probably already copyrighted or used. And um, I don't like talking too much dirt on people, but um, one of those parties that I mentioned is pretty litigious. Pretty litigious. Yeah, we'll say. So hey, I just, just avoid that issue. I have I have permission from the ones that I use, so from the breeders. Well, let's be fair. Subcool gave permission to every goddamn person because he said uh -huh. multiple right. live shows that I don't give a but fuck had, what you do I with my seats uh, once I get them. So let's let's be real honest. The creator has I already given that permission. I even got Miss Jill's blessing and uh, Jordan of the Islands too, because I was that guy, bud, dude. And I'll tell you what, man. That that uh, 
Ophelia. The oh, it, it was Jordan of the Islands. It was uh, OG Kush by a God Bud. And uh, that OG Kush he has must have been good because that shit was potent. That shit was a real deal. That's why I used it, you know? Yeah. That's why I had it. So shout out to all those breeders and all those peoples. Yep. We, yeah, we have to remember that um, everything that we have today is because of the people before us, right? So you, it, it's good to to look back and, and try to um, at least give homage or at least a little bit of credit to the people before you. Because really, we, we haven't created anything new. <laughs> it, it's all right. the genetics before us. But But some people did go through a lot to find or, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. So there is some work in there and, and yeah, definitely helped out. And that's why I always, I always, at first, I always forgot that no, some people might not know Cheesequake is subcool TGA. So I would always just say Cheesequake, figure, you know, because everybody that I knew personally knew who TJ, you know, what, what Cheesequake was. But mm-hmm. yeah, I got to start too. reminding myself. Yeah. That's the male. That's the male, man. He's a, yeah. he's a stud. So. I had us a couple questions in chat. At least I don't know if they're all I saw all I can see is who tags me, but seed person one tagged me and said, um, can you give some best practices for using a sip container or a city picker? Um, yeah, for me anyway, in my situation, I've found that um I'm full, my garden's fully uh, sip containers now, all of them. Yeah, not in vet, well, in late veg they are, but in early veg, I'm still in pots. I so I'll pot up to about a one gallon pot, half gallon to a one gallon pot. And then they go from that into the city picker, which is just a sip container. And for me, I found watering the city pickers, um, wait for it to get, I've done it where I just topped them off every day and made sure they always had water in them, but that did not perform as well as if I filled it up and then allowed it to completely empty before filling, before watering it again. And um, I mean, that's as easy as just looking down the tube with a flashlight to see if, you know, if there's water or not in there. So that's one tip I can say that will help with watering. And then with the uh, mulch layer, a lot of these SIP containers will come with a with what they call a plastic mulch layer or shower cap or I don't know, there's a lot of different words people like to use for it. But it's a piece of stretchy plastic that actually covers the top of the media and you cut a hole just for the stem of the plant and that's it. Well, that's really clean and neat, and, and I ran it that way before. I really dislike that, um, and it traps moisture so that it doesn't uh, allow as much moisture to evaporate off the soil. So there's some benefits, but I'm uh, I don't know. I've tried it both ways, and I don't like. And I just don't seeing plastic on top of my soil. It just ruffles my feathers. I don't know why. So I take off the plastic mulch, and I just use. And I've tried also I've tried to. Uh, uh, cover crops but i find that cover crops tend to be more trouble than they're worth indoor for the simple reason of microclimates and there's always like more little moisture microclimates down low which is not exactly a good thing even with fans and stuff down there because you can't put uh, so much airflow down there to combat that because then you kill your cover crop but it can't transpire or transpires too much really so i found don't do the cover crop just do a mulch layer and what my mulch, like I originally started with straw, but then I've graduated now to just taking my plants after harvest the stems and ter- cutting them to about one inch sections. And uh, I just use that for mulch layer. Just throw that in a bucket. And then I just take out of that bucket to top dress as a mulch layer. So that's really my only tips that, uh, as far as what I find a, a different specific to sip containers than grown any, you know, any other plant. 
Um, that's really it. Other than uh, if you wanted to feed something of some sort, like a nutrient of some sort, or uh, maybe enzymes, I never feed that through the tube. Uh, I, I'm sure you probably can. I just haven't done that because my opinion in the matter is, is those things where you're trying to get root contact with them and uh, use gravity as your friend, man, just, just mix up some water, make sure that the reservoir is empty uh, or close to empty, then mix, mix it up into just top water, water it through this, the media so that uh, you can get whatever it is you're trying to get to the roots, to the roots quicker. If you put it in the, in the res, that's going to have to be, you know, capillary action and absorbed up toward the roots. And it's going to take longer. It might sit and not get as much root contact as all. So I really feel like, and I've tried it both ways. And I feel like the results I saw are much better when you have to do any kind of a application of something to the root zone. It's better to water it through than to put it in the res and let it soak up. I think that's all off the top of my head. If you have more questions, just tag me in chat and I'll, I'll get to those too. Yeah. I just want to take the time to mention that, um, uh, tagging the cheap home grow will not be as useful today because the person usually has the account is Jack. So tag uh, Dr. MJ Coco uh, and make sure to spell it out all right or Xenthanol or Spartan grown because um, then we can see it very easily um, in chat. I've already actually uh, noted a few questions. We want to take a crack at them. Um, see. I saw the question. Oh. There's one for uh, Dr. Coco specifically by Harlsberg. Hmm. I see yeah, that. About Grandmaster level lights. Um, I not yet. I would say I'd be willing to discuss reviewing Grandmaster level lights, but have not yet done that. I've been busy and haven't gotten a lot of lights reviewed lately. But um, well, that's all I have to say. Um, I saw the autoflower popping nanners overnight. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to say, let's get to that before it gets skipped. Yeah, what, what is that? I recently had an autoflower. Let's just read out. Show enough Q says, I recently had an autoflower that overnight started popping nanners on every single bow. Oh, shit. It was on day 79 from seed. Oh, what are your thoughts? My initial thought is you took it too far. You should have harvested before that, maybe. Nanners are usually a size. To me, it's either bad genetics and it's her hermaphrodite or it's you've taken it too far. It's usually those two things. Yeah, it's one, 11 one weeks in. And depending on, yeah, 11 weeks from seed. Um, I'd be curious to what kind of stress the plant was under that may have provoked that anyways. If you see something that happens really quickly overnight like that, it's often some stress acting on the plant. Yeah, and I'm curious how spontaneous this this was. I, I always dislike yeah. like, you know, questioning what that is. Cause I know what it's like. Like you look at the plant, everything looks fine. You look at it like 24 hours later and there's things that you're sure, you're just sure you didn't see. And it grew like bamboo just so quick. Oh, I used um, to do time lapses, Matthew. And I, I'd take a few pictures every single day and I'd be like, oh my God, when did this happen? This is brand right? new. And I'd go back in my time lapse and I'd find like two weeks ago, the first symptoms that have been like leading <laughs> up to this, you know, like, and it doesn't sometimes become obvious, but like for, for like calcium deficiency or something like that. And you, you suddenly notice it, you can go back and be like, aha. Um, so yeah, it might, I, I totally agree. It might not have been like super as, as quick as that, but still probably um, pretty fast. I, I agree. Yeah. 
it's long and probably some other stress too. Yeah, what kind and what kind of autoflower? Um, you know, maybe put that in the chat too for future reference. Yeah, I wonder if you had what what was the target on the package for the for the how many days? But I'm starting to lean more towards what Dr. Coco brought up because they all showed up at once. It's probably a stress event more than anything. Yeah, yeah, something shared. Yeah. If it's just getting old, I mean, yeah, some seed and some nanners will start popping out. Yeah, but not all at once. You're right. Yeah, exactly. A couple, you know, you see them. Exactly. And, you know, the things that stress autoflowers are different. Um, There's no risk of reveg, right? And and that's really what sort of trips out photoperiod plants and potentially makes them herm often is screwing with the light cycle um, and sort of messing up the, the plant's rhythm that way. Autoflowers are usually pretty impervious to that. So now we're thinking about other kinds of stressors, um, you know, climate, potentially pests, I, I'm not sure, um, you know. But like the flowers are already, the fl- sorry to interrupt, but yeah, it sounds like the flowers are already developed, the female flowers. Um, so like, yeah, it's kind of odd, right? Or, or maybe I'm interpreting that wrong. No, right. I think 79 from seed, unless it's a, a really, really slow auto, um, that's that should like be quite harvest, right? Yeah. So like, I mean, that's kind of that's yeah, pretty odd. Blackberry, I think on top of that, blackberry by four twenty fast buds, sixty five to seventy five days. Okay. Well, yeah, I don't so, know. It's at the end. It's not like terribly long, but it, it's oh. it's at the end. I definitely would have harvested it if I went in there and saw a bunch of nanners. I would have har- That would have been my go to. Is that it's getting harvested today? I'm putting a bag over it or something to try to contain pollen. Um, I don't think there's any danger of smoking it. Um, I would not smoke the pollen. Agreed. And, I would uh, smoke the pollen. I would just <laughs> note smoke that, the pollen. Yeah. Hashtag. I, I would just note like. If, I'm also if, if got more of those seeds. I would note it though. Write it down. <laughs> you may not want to trace me or take my advice on this particular. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I would definitely like if you have more seeds of a seed pack left. I would definitely put a note on it or a, a, you know some masking tape or something. Just say watch out at day whatever you know, in the high seventies for some, for some nanners on this. At least you could uh, arrest the development of seeds by harvesting right now. Right. Like at least you won't have yes. that issue and prevent contamination. We're assuming there's gotta be other plants who growing around there somewhere that might be pollinated too. So you don't want to just start chucking pollen. Good point. I, uh, I think we did that one pretty well. Um, so we did that one and that one. So um, is it, is it Katie or Cade? I actually don't know how uh, that's pronounced. Should... Is it Cade? Cade? I thought so. That was my intuition. So Cade Armstrong, who's who's been on the chat all many times, and I think I've conversed with a few times, Indeed. asks, um, what's the best treatment for thrips, diatomaceous earth? I wouldn't say diatomaceous earth is my go-to uh, for thrips, but, um, you know, first of all, there's all kinds of thrips out there. Um <laughs> But uh, a lot of the ones that we're worried about kind of have pretty similar life cycles. Sometimes the thrips will fall into the sort of substrate or onto the floor. So you might want to control them um, at that life stage in some way or be accounting for that in some way. But basically their life cycle is um, an adult puts the egg a little bit under the leaf tissue. So it doesn't get affected by things that you might be spraying for it necessarily. A little 
larva kind of comes out and then it feeds on the plant, it gets a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. It pupates or well, sort of a pre-pupa like form. It falls off and then it kind of stays dormant for a little bit, develops and then becomes an adult. And then that adult can fly and those things, they're not really great at flying, but they're really light and small and they get into little nooks and crannies. So it's very easy for you to like miss one or two if you're applying some sort of a treatment application, like a wettable sulfur, for example. Um, if you're in veg, there's all kinds of things you can use against thrips. And if you only have a little bit, um, then all the more easy, easier. It's a lot more difficult when you have tons of them, um, especially like if you have exposure to the elements because thrips will like swarm and, and they'll come in and it's really bad. So I like to use predatory mites as well. Um, if you can afford to use them and um, sort of apply them somewhat regularly, I, I think they make a really great preventative like Coumaris or Swirsky. Um, that's another option that you could use or Orias pirate bug is really popular, uh, but I wouldn't use some of those predators like the Orias until you, um, until you kind of already see them already because they need that prey or, or they'll die. The only thing I would add to what you're saying, Matthew, um, especially in veg, most especially in veg, is if you catch them in veg, you can be, you can, uh, I would recommend to leaf strip the fuck out of your plants <laughs> because in veg, they can re, you can just, you, you know, you're going to lose some time for sure, but you're going to physically remove so many eggs and fucking bugs by just removing the leaves themselves. And then, uh, then when you, if you do go in with something like uh, predator mites or even a spray at that point, uh, you're still going to be getting more coverage and being more effective. I mean, you can go full tilt spray, wait for that, wait maybe a little while for that to dry and then come in with predator mites and just really go to town depending on how much you want to throw at it. But cheap just takes time and effort and veg. Uh, leaf strip because you could always bounce back but you could always just keep it in veg to get that uh, foliage back but if you really remove the stuff like that i think it helped it can really bring like especially a big infestation it can knock it back pretty quick by just getting it the fuck out of there yeah i definitely agree with that assessment and yeah and so like i definitely i've seen a few different trips um i know for a little while it's sort of controversial whether or not they also fed on cannabis, but like Western flower thrips is one, uh, chili thrips is another, and also sort of a, and those are usually like a tan or orangish color. Um, and then you kind of, you can sometimes get like black thrips. There are several out there. Um, some people seem to get like bean thrips, which have like a black and white uh, coloration on their body. It was also the greenhouse thrips too, which is kind of a little bit bigger, a little bit bulkier. Um, but I agree with what Spartan saying too. And thrips are really also, they're just super like, um, uh, what's the right word for it? They're just very skittish. Like if they're disturbed, they'll like just fly if they can. And they'll just like, they'll, like get on your clothes, you know, depending on how big your grow is. Um, there's a pretty reasonable chance that like, if you have a large population that they'll get on you <laughs> and you'll, you'll track them into other places. So definitely important to be fastidious about that kind of thing. And because I hang out with Matthew Gates every week. I fucking hate trips because of all the damn pictures he shows me of like spider mites hitching a ride on them and God knows what fucking viruses they're vectoring. And they just, they drive me insane. 
<laughs> it's like because of all the stuff you show me i'm like oh my god if i see a trip it's gonna i gotta kill it because it's gonna vector hoplite virus or <laughs> you know there's something i mean i just my skin crawls like i'm seeing a mite i can see the exposure therapy is working um this is kind of the idea uh that people just not traumatizing maybe but just uh you know highly uh sticks in your mind that's, that's what you need to do sometimes to, to get the, the right effect i guess <laughs> um somebody's also asking harlsberg was asking about the science on like heat treatment i assume that's related to thrips because that is something common um that that people a certain certain people grow certain crops will use um to kill the thrips but you got to make sure number one thing is that your machinery can withstand or whatever other things that you have in your grow can withstand the temperature um uh, I'm mostly familiar with uh, temperatures over like 100 degrees Fahrenheit, um, but it shouldn't be for like a very long time. Um, you know, again, depending on your situation, because like certain things could melt or, or become damaged. Um, and usually this is in the context of like when there's not plants in the room, um, at least in my experience. I think that there are some times where you can make the heat worse and um, you know, the, the plants can kind of grow out of it, but the insects are sort of um, negatively affected. But from what I understand from the people I've talked to, more or less, this is usually like a sterilizing effect yeah. you do afterwards. Yeah, you don't want to just blast your plants with a bunch of heat. I mean, I think most of us understand they can tolerate a little bit of heat, right? But the amount that you'd probably have to kill use to kill most predators, that sounds like a between yeah. sterilization move to me. I don't understand why people, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I don't understand when, why people even try it because I just feel like the juice isn't worth the squeeze. And I only really encountered personally people do it in the other way. Uh, but I guess I thought I'd speak to credence in case it was out of my uh, experience. But yeah, that's, that's my experience with that. I, I've seen it used a lot in, I think, greenhouse setting uh, for... yeah for mold prevention not so much pests that you know like if they got a pm outbreak they fucking just close everything up put the lights on <laughs> fucking let it get hot as shit but uh i don't know how effective it is honestly i've just heard of it i haven't done it myself so um skunky man has a question they say hey Big fan here. My question is regarding using 730 nanometer at end of day to knock our girls out earlier and reduce flower time. Is this considered settled science at this point? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the phenomena itself has certainly been demonstrated. Um, I, I think we understand what's going on i don't think we know exactly like dosages and times i think so there's more to understand about like if i give this dose of light of 7 30 for this time then i'm able to reduce the flowering dark period by this much i think we still need to to kind of refine some of those numbers but the fact that I, you know, using 730 nanometer light after lights out, and you can then run a shorter dark period. I think that that's pretty well established, yes. Well, cool. I don't have anything to add to that personally. The only I would say add is anecdotal, which is not science, <laughs> really. But there you uh, go. Well, they say it anyways. Yeah. 
but I have around, a light with that, and I don't run it like I'm told to to put them to sleep early. I just run it like a regular light with it on, and I've seen increases in yield for sure. And so yeah, I'll I can tell you that. at least that. Nanometer <laughs> light is also photosynthetic, and we know that now based on research that's just been done in the last couple of years that that have been able to isolate that and show the the photosynthetic response yeah. seven thirty nanometer light. So. It, it's definitely also beneficial there, but it, like there's different, this is different. This is sort of like a, a plant signaling. It's almost like using light to, to, to really uh, crop steer, honestly. Yeah, yeah. You're like communicate, you're like manipulating the, or tricking the plant into thinking it's a certain way. And that might sound a little devious, but you know, it is kind of. But yeah, Bugby, Bugby did a thing on that. Bugsby? Bugby, yeah. right? I don't know, I'm freaking stone, but um, yeah, that all the way up to 750 is actually that part of the E part that he calls extended part, but the plants, I definitely use it, and it's stretch factor for cannabis and veg, but supposedly isn't a stretch factor in flower. So yeah. if I had the light available where I could click an on or off, I'd probably wait until, you know, it's in flower and then click an on and yeah, run it like Spartan. That's what a lot of lights that do, you know, have a veg and a bloom switch. The bloom switch just turns on the 660s and the More 730s right, yeah. or turns them up. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's usually the difference. You can you can tolerate a bit of 730 nanometer light, to be perfectly honest with you. Like it's rare to get an LED setup that produces the same amount of um, 700 plus of far red light that HPS lights do. HPS lights put out more far red light. So that's why we didn't veg under HPS lights and we would use metal halide lights back in the day, right? old school growers. Um, because the, the HPS uh, really yeah, puts yeah. out a lot of far red and it and a lot of red light just in general um, makes the plants sort of stretch a little bit too much. Um, but most LEDs, even if you have an LED that has you know 730 nanometer diodes in it, the the relative percentage of far red light as a as a percentage of the overall flux is going to be smaller than it was in HPS. It's similar to sort of you know metal halide to be perfectly honest with you until we really start cranking up the the 730 nanometer light and some lights do do that there are some lights on the market that produce you know above 10 closer to 15 percent of the light or 15 percent far red as a percentage of total flux i think um, the one i got is only about maybe 10 at full but it's dimmable so i could bring it lower if i want but i don't have any way to yeah. go higher than that <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, quite a few fixtures that have like supplemental diodes, supplemental 730 nanometer diodes will be in the 8 to 10 to 12% range, somewhere in there. But that's still not a, a tremendous amount. When Bugsby is is testing the photosynthetic response, he says it's, as long as it's below 30% of the total flux, it'll be fully photosynthetic. And, you know, we're generally running in the single digits for LED grows, at least. Yeah, and I always like to mention I, for my upcoming botrytis presentation, which um, this will be the first time I'm talking about it, actually. So you get the, the extra scoop. That'll be on the 22nd coming up uh, at 1.30 p.m. PST. And I expect Chad Westport, who may even be in the chat at the moment, will be sharing some of that information very soon. But 
So that'll be on the Future Canvas Project 2 channel? Yes, sir. And uh, I was going over uh, Botrytis' perception of light. And, and uh, it was very fascinating to kind of see how even light affects, because we usually just think of our plants, but you know, all kinds of other things are being affected by light and all that. And I'm always thinking of the- That's uh, super interesting. Right? Uh, what, did they, yeah. what, did, what did they say about, well, I guess you don't want to, if, I mean, we have lots of time, but I mean- Oh, I mean, I don't want to bogart the conversation. Oh, that's true. I don't want to ruin the show for it. We'll have to come back to that after you, you do your presentation, the feature cameras, because right. I'm interested, man. I'll have to watch it. Yeah. Well, basically, I'll just say this much, is that- um, uh, you know, some of these light frequencies, they'll inhibit certain growth or or things like that, which is kind of fascinating. If you if you like can, UV, use I know it has been shown to do that with fungus. That's for sure. UV is directly damaging. Um, they have some they can repair that to some extent. But, you know, um, that's why you just got to use the right dosage. And, uh, you know, I always think when we're talking about this aspect of like the EPAR and PAR that the um the shade response thing is just such an interesting thing i always i always find that kind of neat because um you know like that's like the number one thing plants have to do is be in the sun in the, for most cases 99 percent of cases and uh, getting that shade getting that that other radiation tells that plant hey i'm not where i should be and something else is out overcrowding me and you know there's yeah. a lot more competition in the forest than people think it's not all um, rainbows and unicorns no, that's definitely why far red light, why the red shifted light encourages plants to, to grow taller. Um, it, it gives them the signal that something might be above them that they need to outcompete and, and get up above. Um, really the same phenomena with the, the bolt, right? AKA the flowering stretch. Like the goal is to quickly get up above everybody else, all the other plants that you might be growing around and have the, the best chance of having um, either your seeds pollinated or your pollen dispersed. It all comes down to why that response was there in the first place. And it wasn't so us growers could have a great way to make the plant grow. It's because there was some other reason. And uh, I think appreciating that is always great. So I, I appreciate that Dr. Coco can um, explain that so eloquently. Oh, thank you. I appreciate how eloquently you, you explain a bunch of things too, Matthew Gates. Well, thank you. Um, so we got another question. This one's for me. I'm not seeing other chat questions. So if you do have questions, you guys should really tag us because I'm not seeing them personally, but I, yeah, I have some powdery mildew in week six flower. Can I cut out bad areas, a salvage part of my grow or, or am I screwed? Um, I mean, I would say that that really depends. So let's see week six. So I'm not sure when you were expecting to harvest. Um, in some realistic capacity, you might say this would be the time to harvest um, in reaction and response to the to the pest. But I don't know how much you say you only have some, right? So if you cut out some of that uh, powdery mildew and you only have a little bit, and especially if it's if it's not on your flower, I think it was me, or if you're not seeing the spore the sporulation on your flower, you know, I might harvest it and try to make sure that that doesn't um, kind of happen more because powdery mildew can't develop on uh, dead tissue and only develop on living tissue. So if it's not on your flower, then probably too early to harvest the. Yeah, it is, six. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, for almost every strain. Yeah. 
So I guess if that's the case, now that I'm looking at that question again, you're right. I was thinking of a of a later week in my mind. So I guess it really depends tough. on yeah, how much you have. What can you do for, for PM deep in the flower, Matthew? Yeah, if it, we weren't just doing the cutouts, there's other things that you can apply. Um, potassium bicarbonate is really a common uh, product to apply or powdery mildew. It changes the pH on the leaf surface. And that's very has a very negative effect on the powdery mildew. Um, a lot of people think powdery mildew is systemic, but it's not systemic. It's just an epiphyte that grows on the surface. So if you can really maim and harm the, the fungus, then um, you're, you're going to have that beneficial effect. It also, um, you know, is usually on the leaves as well. So from the question, it sounds like it might be that um, you're getting powdery mildew on the flowers itself, which is not as common, but it does happen. And if that were the case where you're actually seeing it mold over, I would cut it out personally. Yeah. Unlike other molds, it's not necessarily the case that just because you see mold on one section that like the rest of the plant or rest of the flower or whatever is like colonized in that way. Um, it kind of travels over the surface. But yeah. And really do yourself a favor. And when you go in to cut it out, bring like a little garbage bag with you or some kind of yeah. plastic bag because the every step you take with that is jolting it and it's sprinkling spores everywhere. So as soon as you can, I mean, if you can put the bag over the, the branch and then cut the branch, I mean, that's probably the best way, but um, yeah, just try to mitigate the spread as much as you can. Do you yeah. Seal it. Just the climate Matthew, or is kind of like too late for that? Yeah. Um, this is like the, this is, I would say that you could change things in climate, but like, there's a difference between usually that's going to affect the development of spores that are already kind of landed on the surface. But if this, if the fungus is already kind of growing, then they're not going to be as affected as much, but you know, every little bit counts, right? If you can keep from like large fluctuations in temperature and humidity, that's going to have, you know, that's going to be massively preventative. Um, Jason says that, uh, you know, it's mostly in the leaves, some on the buds. So I've cut out those on the buds. Um, apply something like potassium bicarbonate. They also say, can they wash the bud? Um, wash it in what way? As in, are they saying wash it as in doing bubble? Hash, I think they mean like, they saying, a, oh, that's a good question. I think they, they mean saying, like yeah, a plant dip or something. At yeah. Yeah. Because yes, you can. I know, I've known of, I'm not, not going to throw anybody under the bus, but I know there's a commercial practice that with PM to, to dip your buds or your product in a... Uh, it's like a usually you just get a garbage can you fill it full of water and you mix it with uh, hydrogen peroxide h2o2 yeah i, I mean well, i always wonder whether that's going to have an effect with the trichomes you know yeah it probably yes, it's going to have effect with the trichomes yeah. still gonna pass, you're still going to pass testing <laughs> Look, yeah exactly. they're going to pass the pm test you know and the taste test comes after somebody's already forked out the cash for it yeah and um it will it'll surprisingly not affect the flavor as much, but it will definitely going to, when you get your test results back, I guess, from the, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Cannabinoid test, the cannabinoid test, your THC percentage are going to be a little bit lower than what you're used to because you're melting them. Yeah. Uh, you know, Tempanger says in chat to spray with um, peroxide and, and water. I'm not, I'm really hesitant to spray plants that are six weeks into flower every day with, with water. What do you think about that, Matthew? 
Yeah, because here's the problem, right? Is that you're you you have a dilemma. You don't have a problem because problems have solutions. Dilemmas are a situation where either choice you make is going to be bad, right? So your your dilemma is if you apply something like peroxide or water, well, you you might have a different fungal problem. You might have botrytis problem, some other bud right pathogen, uh, because of the nice moisture and microclimate in your chonky buds that are growing. That can be really problematic. WPM, man. I mean, it's tough, but yeah, I hear you. You you know, it's a dilemma. You don't have a good choice. Yeah. And um, I was going to say something. There are some microbial products out there too. I'll follow up in the chat. Um, I see another question here from uh, Oki Grower. Is 450 watts of LED enough for a five by four space? Probably not. Um, I mean, probably not. It, it, it basically depends on, you know, what kind of PPFD targets you're looking for. But across 20 square feet, you're not going to get, you're not going to get full lit, fully coverage, or sorry, full coverage and fully lit in that in 20 square feet with only 450 watts. You know, even in 16 square feet, so in a, a four by four, um, there are some 450 watt fixtures that can pull that off, but there are also some, it's kind of right on the edge um, to, to fully light a four by four. But again, it depends on what your PPFD targets are. If this is a veg space and, you know, you're only trying to get to like, you know, five, 600, might be fine. Um, for a flower space, I would want more light than that. I agree. I also agree. <laughs> I was thinking, man, I got 600 watts over a four by four. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you can put usually 600 watts is a bit strong over a four by four. You, you might tone that down a little bit, right? But you got like the the reserve power in the tank, 450 watts. Uh, you know, there are some well-designed fixtures meant to cover a four by four with about 450 watts. Um, but yeah, I'd probably rather have a, a 600 watt light like Spartan and even a four by four. And then a five by four, like it, it's really helpful. I think if you just think, oh, five by four is barely bigger than a four by four, but it's the difference between 16 square feet and 20 square feet. And like that is kind of a big difference. Um, area counts, the light spreads out to the, the total area that you have to work with. So that's my thought. Xanthan also got a question I thought. see already there. Yeah, um, I also want to say that uh, Jason earlier had mentioned that they had a power outage. So that's definitely going to ruin your, yeah, your situation. Totally. Um, oh, is that how they got PM? Yeah. Perhaps, yeah. yeah. Yeah, power goes out, RH spikes, uh, PM lands, and then you're sort of struggling with the rest of the graph. Definitely. One thing I forgot to mention that I wanted to mention about PM, and um, I am going to say this is science because I believe Harley Smith when he says it, but um, if you feed silica, if, if you're not, if you're, if you're feeding like a base regime and you're not using silica, I would suggest using silica and it will help. It's not going to be a PM preventative. It's going to just be one more thing that's helping to fight against it. So it, it's, it's going to make it re, a little more resistant. So I would, I would use the uh, silica and the, and the, how that works as far as the science behind it is, is um, the way Harley explains it in his videos 
and in person. He's such a cool dude. Uh, <laughs> I'm a fanboy. Sorry. He, uh, um, it makes the, uh, the water that's uh, generally found in between like the plant cells, the, the water content um, becomes more pectin like so that when the uh, fungal I, I'm going to mess these words up. Is it the hyphae that tries the hyphae, to penetrate through? Yeah. Okay. The, the penetration peg, but yeah. Okay. The penetration peg from the hyphae, it's, it's, it's seeking water. That's what the fungus is after is the water. And when it goes down in there, it doesn't have water to suck up and it's thicker. It just dies. So um, silica, I would add some silica if you're not doing that. Yeah, I agree with that. Apparently, cannabis plants benefit so much from silica. Agreed. I've read that um, it also has a priming effect, sort of like an immune priming effect as well that can be beneficial against spider mildew. So you get like a physical effect and then you get like an immune response effect, which is pretty nice. It's kind of a two win for one. Yeah. And then all the other things Dr. Coco is uh, alluding to. Yeah, well, well, Jason's asking now, you know, are you talking through foyer or or through roots? Either. You can do either. And, and, and guess what? depending on the silica you use, like the common silica, the more cheaper one, the potassium silicate, if you use that as a foliar, it's gonna automatically bring that pH way up and it's gonna work almost like that sodium bicarbonate, I, I imagine. And so if you're spraying your leaves with a high pH and there is some fungus, that's just another thing that's gonna be fucking with it. So, man, I would say both <laughs> or either, but I would, I think it's, it's beneficial as a foliar as well. Yeah, for sure. We have another question. That question is by Kojo Jibs. Um, growing outdoors in the tropics in the ground, my plants took plants look great in veg till I flip to 1212. And then I run into issues that look like septoria, which is a fungus that infects the foliage. Is there a fix or preventive that I can adopt? Um, I mean, yeah, if you are pretty sure that's septoria though, then the interesting, the potassium bicarbonate we just talked about would be helpful against them, the wettable sulfur, but you just flipped. So that wouldn't be as effective. Um, but, you know, if you got it in veg, you could use it there. Um, I mean, I find that those actually both are pretty effective by themselves. Do you I think see the a lot on cannabis, Matthew? You know, um, I feel like it became more common the last three to four years for me personally, and I'm sure in other places as well. I feel like it's really common when like you got like really bushy plants, you got a lot of that humidity. Um, that's what I associate it with. I know our, our friend Steve over at Potent Ponics has mentioned several times when I believe he was in Oklahoma and that he's saying that he was seeing more and more of it and he was super surprised because he figured it was more of a rare thing or most people think it's more of a rare thing in cannabis but he said he was seeing it more and more out there but he's in thailand now so i don't know what's and i just associate it with other crops um yeah um i think it's it, one of those was, cases... uh, i remember he had the pictures saved which was great to see to yeah. see what, what exactly it looked like in cannabis he had them and uh, he was showing them on the show. I, I forget what show. It's pretty distinctive. It's, I wish we had a picture out. I don't know. Yeah, they, um, they, he, on one of his shows recently, he had a fellow person in Thailand showing off the Subtorio and his cannabis plants right now in Thailand. So oh, it shit. definitely okay. is a thing there, sure, 100%. And uh, yeah, I've seen it in, in cannabis, not personally, but in a lot of references and pictures of it. 
wondering if I can bring up a uh, a picture right now. You have another question while we wait? I, I say I hope to never see it in real life. <laughs> um, I get a quick one here. Okay, Grower asked me what 100 watt LED would I recommend. It depends kind of what, what you... At 100 watt LED, you're not going to go too far wrong, I, I don't think. Um, they're all pretty similar. I'd get a little 100 watt quantum board. And if you already had some that could be daisy chained together and, and dimmed on one channel, I'd probably go with that. So, um, you know, match up to something that you already have that way, because I think you're growing a bunch in 110, or maybe I'm getting different growers confused. Um, but there's a a number of good little panels, little quantum boards, good dimmers. I kind of like the Viper Spectra ones, but there's a lot out there in the 100 watt range. It's too small for a two by two though. I'd get a 150 watt to fully light a two by two. All right, Matthew, did you find a picture of Septoria? Oh, there we go. Yeah, hopefully you guys can see it on the chat. See, I would call that can, or I would have initially thought CalMag, the calcium deficiency, but okay. Yeah, you can kind of see these halos here. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Can you see my, and I agree. That's one yeah. of the things that makes it so difficult because a lot of these pest problems, they totally look like a, a nutrient problem or like some kind of chemical burn. Like, you know, you could, I could see somebody like looking at this picture and maybe thinking like, oh, maybe somebody Water. sprayed in the droplets yeah. got, yeah, you know, like, um, but, you know, yeah. It's really tough for somebody that deals with like calcium deficiency problems every single day too. And then suddenly, you know, one out of 20 of them is going to be a, a pest issue or something that, that does something similar. So, cause that's just such a common co issue in, in cocoa. The one, um, the pictures I've seen look like uh, just light yellow uh, spots. So it might it be you know, different. Yeah, not, that's just before this. Yeah, it's not like totally brown a like week that. Or two yeah, before just this colored yellow. Yeah, <laughs> that's but actually really is. Um, yeah. You oh no, tell you first. Not, yeah, I was gonna say you could you could tell it's not like a nutrient. It's something different. It's not a nutrient deficiency. The one that I, that they showed recently, anyway, that I saw. Yeah, you can kind of see these halos, and also it's an incredibly good point that you guys mentioned that. Um, you know, you might find something like this at different stages. And so it'll, it'll look different at the very, very beginning versus, um, you know, more established. But you can kind of see these little halos of like yellow. Can you see my mouse yes. cursor? Yeah, yep. yeah. So you can kind of see these like yellow halos around the brown necrotic yep. tissue. But you can also yeah. see inside, you can see these little circles. And yeah, yeah so... Yeah, is, I didn't even notice that. When you look at it closer, it's not, yeah, that does not look like calmite deficiency anymore. That looks more like Satoria <laughs> that I've seen on cannabis before, more advanced. Yeah. And so it yeah. looks like on your tomato plants, too. Not all, I don't think all of these are necessarily Septoria in yeah. this line of pictures, but um, yeah, as you can see, it can look, can look a little bit different. Yeah, here you can kind of see the the circular halos a little bit better so yeah <laughs> another question from kojo jibs dr coco how many three gallon pots would you put in a 10 by 10 and what sort of setup would you run with oh you've tied my hands a little bit by telling me that they gotta be three gallon pots already so 
Um, <laughs> you know, if, if you true. had, if you had said like, how many plants would you put in a 10 by 10 and what size pots would you put them in? I, I'd probably give a different answer, but if we're in three gallon pots, um, I, you know, 10 by 10 is a tough place. You got to figure out how you're going to get through there. Like you can't just use a hundred percent, a hundred square feet in a 10 by 10 space. Cause you're going to have some plant in the middle that you can't, you can't reach. So you got to leave like a path, right? You got to leave like a trail through the middle or something. So the first thing that I would do is I do a little sort of like plant plan for where the canopy is going to be. And this is the same thing we do in like a, a larger room when we're thinking about laying out the benches and how, where we're going to put the plants and where we're going to walk around and the benches move. But in a 10 by 10 tent, those are some things like maybe you have a path right through the middle. Maybe you're actually only going to use about eight, 80 square feet. And so, you know, how long do you want to veg them for? What's your watering system? Um, is your goal to get uh, like the most production in the shortest period of time? Because we could we could certainly sort of gear towards that. Or, but it's going to be a lot of work, especially, or, you know, more equipment in terms of setting up um, automatic watering systems. So there's a lot of variables involved there, but I'd potentially go, again, I mean, I'd go higher density if I was in a smaller pot. In a three-gallon pot, I guess I'd probably do uh, up to 40 plants in there, maybe maybe up to 60. It depends on how you're going to lay it out and depends on how long you want to veg for, but it's going to be a big number. It's going to be a big number. And how much height do you have? That's going to make a difference because you might have to veg longer for. Yeah. So I'm just assuming that there, that, you know, is 76 inch high tent probably. Um, they probably raise their, their plants up off the ground a few inches to allow for drainage. And they're in, you know, the, the three yeah. gallon pots, which are probably, eight to 10 inches tall. Um, I think there's enough vertical room there. I mean, I always go shorter veg time, higher plant count in situations like this, which accommodates itself to a, a shorter a shorter ceiling. Um, yeah, when you can get more plants, it makes are you it so much count limited or something like that. Go ahead, Spartan, sorry. No, no, I was agreeing with you. I was like, yeah, when you can go like high density plants, it makes it so much easier that rather than having one plant and trying to train it over and, and fill that canopy, they fill the yeah. canopy. I mean, you've, you've filled the canopy. You're just, they're growing straight up. Yeah. And uh, that makes your life way easier as far as training if you don't want to get in there. I mean, you, you might have to. So that's my real answer. If I was going to be in my own pots, I would be in one gallon pots. And if I had 80 square feet of my 10 by 10 tent, sort of mopped out as plant area, then shit, I'd probably put 120 plants or 140 plants in. That has to have automation. You're not hand watering that shit. No, I'm not hand watering that shit. I'm not topping that. I'm barely going to veg it. I'm going to flip really quick. I'm going to grow a bunch of little plants that are going to have like one main colon, a couple of side branches. Um, it's going to be an entire canopy like that. And I'm going to be able to turn that room really fast. Right. So when you're thinking about, you know, maximizing your production over time, um, nothing beats those, those sog grows. 
And I was actually talking a little bit to Smart Poker, who's in the chat, striking down our villains from, you know, the the spamming villains in the chat. Thank you for that, Smart. But that's like we were talking earlier about um, grams per kilowatt hour, as opposed to like grams per micromol or grams per watt or these other ways that we can measure sort of harvest success. And if you want to sort of max out your grams per kilowatt hour, which is like how much power you've used over the course of the grow for everything, for all your climate equipment, all your lights, all the rest of that, how much energy did your grow consume versus how many grams did you harvest at the end of that grow? That's really the number in terms of efficiency. Um, and to, to juice that number, you're going to run a SOG, you're going to run really high density plants, a um, lot of plants like that, but it's really labor intensive. Um, good airflow, good dehumidifier. <laughs> yeah, you got to have good equipment. You, you got to you got to pot up 120 plants. I mean, instead of like 10, you know, so it's a lot of, of work every day. You got to check them or hand water them. God forbid, like everything's just multiplied so much more, even in an automatic watering system. When you got that many plants on an automatic watering system, you got to be really vigilant to make sure they're all getting watered still, because it's really easy to overlook one whose emitters clogged or who wasn't turned up enough, isn't getting enough water and their EC starts spiking. I mean, so making sure all the little plants are happy, yeah. there's more work involved in that. So you got to sort of weigh that on your individual grow, like how much work do I want to do for how much time could I potentially shave off of this and become more efficient? Yeah, it might be cool just to do like a flood and drain tables in that situation because then that's kind of like less... good i'd still go cocoa top feed automatic watering system set all that up you so lost these plants so yeah. i mean i know i love it. i mean we we that's i mean did that every day <laughs> but i'm just saying yeah. not having to check an emitter just watching it flood and watching it soak it up oh uh, yeah i good. agree I, I do agree with that there's some advantages and there's more of that you can automate you can automate a runoff sensor you could put a little moisture sensor that that gives you a, a visual indication or even feeds back to a grow manager computer that that says you know each and every plant reported runoff on each and every runoff watering or something like that a lot of growers don't do that though and certainly whoever's growing then they're 10 by 10 um so those are the extremes. You could probably go pretty extreme. I think if you're actually growing in a 10 by 10, you're going to probably want to scale back off of that and, and find the sweet spot where there's enough plants that, you know, you don't have to veg for 10 weeks and there's not so many plants that it, it's all day, every day watering plants. Anyways, that was a fun question for me. Thank you to who asked that question? It was a cool question. I liked it a lot. Coco Jibs. Oh, co yeah, Kojo Jibs. Kojo Jibs. Thank you, Kojo Jibs. Kojo Hibs. I had fun <laughs> answering that. Puppy Grows asked, um, asked Spartan to ask Tao. Oh, Tao. I want to know. Are you making headway, man? On the Holy Grail chocolate cultivar, please. Well? No. No. <laughs> no headway. No headway. Are you taking any steps I'm in any direction? Backwards. No, oh, I'm wow. backwards. Back way instead of yes. head way. I have I actually just transplanted the females into yeah, I'm just gonna flower them out. I don't think I'm gonna keep I'm trashing the whole thing, I'm starting over and I'm gonna reevaluate. That's what's happening. Oh wow, back to the drawing board. Some yeah, great things come from that though sometimes. 
So that's it. Hey, so these are keep, as long as you're not saying I'm not going to do it anymore, and you're saying I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying, trying something else. Hey, I'm fucking behind you, man. Keep going. Yeah, these aren't these aren't specimens enough to be. Well, I'm, I I I'd never say never, but I'm almost convinced that yeah, these aren't the ones, and I need. I'll, I'm going to continue oh, searching for the ones, big? but these aren't the ones, you know. Have you grown? Hey, when you know yet? she's not the one, it's you know you gotta cut her free and and find somebody new. I understand that. Yeah. So, Tao, have you have you tried sub, subs cuvee? I haven't tried any cuvee I, I get a lot of people have uh, graciously DM'd me possibilities of chocolate flavor. Jack Greenstalk being one of them, and yeah, a whole bunch of other people too. So I'm gonna go through them and uh, pick out a few and buy them up. And a couple I tried to find, I can't find a couple that were possibilities too, but I still have chocolate. I'll probably keep it. I still have a chocolate. I have one chocolate, but there isn't, it's manga. I mean, uh, or pineapple, whatever it is. It's not chocolate, you know, mm. it's the other one. I think chocolate yeah. is, yeah, cantaloupe is by uh, chocolate tie. And so chocolate tie, then you gotta run down chocolate tie. Just go to the one before. I have the chocolate tie too, but there and I popped. I I don't think I have any more left. And I was gonna cross it and then go through all those seeds, but but other people like the you know I'm gonna look through other uh, possibilities. Is what I'm the closest do. thing that I've smoked recently that reminded me of chocolate was cuvee. And it's it reminds people me of it's specifically for me it reminds me of tootsie roll flavor. Which is chocolatey, but it's not That's chocolate. chocolate. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that'll work. But People it's, have it's, said uh, spirit train, uh, spirit train. I think it was called. Like a couple spirit of people train. have said that. One, so I so yeah, I'm gonna, I tried off that down. I'm gonna try and find. I'm gonna still. I'm still looking. I, yeah, I haven't given up. But yeah, I and have. I uh, Indica B has the cut. Clone. Indica B has that cut of cuvee that uh, I'm talking about. He's got it because oh. I got it to him and Big Jar Grows and Big Jar Grows grew it outdoor and it was fucking excellent. It was fucking. It's got a little, um, a little bit of like a cherry or something in there too. It's a berry, I'll say, but I think it's kind of cherryish. It sort of reminds me of like a cherry tootsie roll when you Ooh, when it's on the plant and then when good. the when it when it actually cures that cherry just goes away and it's just more you're left with kind of just tootsie roll. But um, dog doctor official says that he just had to deal with a bunch of too heavy buds falling all over and he said rents is way too heavy and, and i'd say it's a good that's a yeah. good problem to have <laughs> yeah that's not that's something to complain about what he's not complaining <laughs> he corrects me in no, the chat he, oh i see good problems to have <laughs> not complain on my friend <laughs> nice yeah tabo if you want i can probably i'm um, for sure i can get that cut and i could get it to you if that's something you'd like Carlsberg asks, um, what's, what's Spartan's opinion on humic and fulvic and flower? <clears throat> He's heard that Dr. Faust uh, says it may lower THC. My first opinion about any product is, are you putting it on your plant for a reason? Like, is it deficient in some reason? Or what are you using for in the first place? What are you using? What is the tool that you're looking for? What is the problem that you're looking to solve first? Yeah, what's the context really? But, what's the I mean, reason? Because for me to answer that question, I, I have an answer yes and no. I would use fulvic acid or, or humic acid in flour if I felt like I had a nutrient deficiency and I wanted to, um, this is an organic situation, I want to um, drive nutrient to the plant. Um, it's almost like a chelator. 
but uh, if my plants were fine in flower and they weren't struggling and they're doing great, why would I put it on? So to oh, I would me, still put it on. I don't, not in my situation because I'm reusing soil and it's being created in my soil for me already. Hey, okay. But um, I'm not one to just keep putting stuff in just willy nilly, I guess we'll say. <laughs> you know, I need well, to have a acids are basically just organic matter. Um, it, it's, well, yeah. Right. It's and processed organic matter, unless, you know, you're making it yourself processed in some way okay refined certainly filtered is that what you mean yeah yeah i mean, I mean there's there's going to be a machine process involved and in, in if you're taking a product off of a shelf and organically speaking to myself i'd rather have it just organically happen with my mulch layer fucking decomposing and all my organic inputs decomposing and you know I don't know how you want to say it other than just it's, it's doing it itself. And then for me, for me to go to a grocery store and buy something off the shelf, you it's like twisting my fucking arm. I don't like that. So um, Fair enough. when people are asking me about it, like, should I use a fulvic acid? I'll be like, well, if your soil's not already making it, but if your soil's already making it, then no. So for me, it's a very situational question because it could be yes or no. Like if you're growing a straight cocoa and you have no, have, have you heard anything about the, the question in terms of it lowering THC, though? Well, I, I think mean, the, he's asking about, or lowering also, THC. I'm not sure, he's asking about um, a relationship between applying fulvic, humic fulvic in flower and, and that causing a, a reduction in THC. And that is the first time I've well, heard. I would be curious. I mean, I respect Dr. Foss for sure. And I would be curious on what mode he's talking about is he's saying that maybe they're being overfed and that's yeah driving it down I mean, what's that, the mode of action in that in he, that reduction of thc what does he think is driving he's saying it, it, it uh with the humic and fulvic it has no stress so it doesn't make as much thc when if you take away the humic and fulvic it gets a little it has the opportunity to get a little stressed and it produces more thc i think that's what i understand mm. is is uh um I would say, I would, yeah, I would go. I would have to have more of an explanation on the stress. That's a that's a big encompassing word, and I would want more detail there. Just in the fact that, yeah. Like, but if anybody would know, he would know about the, the human yeah. fulvic. Oh uh, yeah. It, so yeah, I'll, I think it's pretty well. There, there's a lot of well established. There's a lot of lot a lot of like mountains of well established. Um, science behind the benefits of it for sure. Benefits, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, so I think that if it's bad in any way, it's like when you're going too, too far with it, like using too much of it in a situation, I think that that's definitely, it could be a case that you can use too much of it. Just like you could use too much of a lot of things, which is bad, like water itself. You can use too much water and really hurt your plants. That's a common one. So like I'm saying, it's a situational thing. Um, every, a lot of people like to just throw more products at their plants I just really caution to really learn what you're doing with each product because really you got to think of each one as like a tool. Like I'm going to go grab a hammer. If I got a nail, if I got to go put a nail in there, I'm not going to just buy 37 hammers and only use one. It doesn't make sense. I mean, and just throw all these different hammers at it and hope one of them is the right one. I don't know. I just think that I, it's, it's funny. My whole progression as a grower is I started out, 
um, only doing like an A and B, and you know, real simple. And then I progressed to after years, you know, to the point to where I was, I had 37 fucking different like shelves of products that were so situational. And now I'm to the point to where it's all that shit is fucking still sitting there because I don't use anything. I, I'm just reusing my soil. And, I, and I'm, I'm not saying I don't use anything. I do reamend afterwards and stuff, but I use far less products than I ever have now. And I'm still getting my same results, I think, or at least in better results on a lot of my strains. So I think that's the marketing in the United States or maybe everywhere, but at least in the United States really pushes us to have that mentality of, you know, we got to have a product for that. We got to have a product for that. Oh, I don't have that one. I need to have that. Yeah, one. I, I definitely agree that. with you on that Spartan, but humic and fulvic acids are like one of the three supplements that I think well, the other being silica, like we've already discussed, or one of the other ones being silica um, that I think are, are really beneficial to like almost all cannabis plants, almost all the time. Um, but I do agree. There's a whole bunch of, of, products out there that are just you know looking for a, a fool with extra money to to spend it on yeah um, so push me to organics <laughs> so i can get away <laughs> martin k420 asks what causes plants to grow bananas or hermaphrodite i get one random plant out of every 10 to 15 that will get bananas on the lower growth all kinds of things really yeah, I suspect that that's primarily genetic. Yeah, I agree I with that. Be, yeah, I would say genetic as well. But my question to me is like, if I had if I had that grow, if I if I grew a plant and I really liked the flower and I had a, a few bananas and they were at the lower growth, what that tells me in my head is just cut that shit off. So next time when I flip to flower or whatever, I'm going to take that low stuff off because obviously it's not producing what i want it's not it must not be getting enough light there must be an issue there must not be airflow there's somebody an issue i think for it just to happen at the lower growth. i mean that's the most common place that you usually see it especially if you're taking long but um i think i would just remove that because every time you get a banana that's a risk of getting pollen, pollen all over the place and it doesn't take a lot of pollen to make a decent amount of seeds no I think it's one pollen grain for each seed or something like that. It is. It's uh it's one pollen grain for the seed, nine million pollen grains to make sure it happens. <laughs> um well uh on that note, if nobody else has anything to say about that. Cool. So Martin also has another question. Uh they brought a Mars Hydro FCE 6500 about six months ago and it started to grow dim and bright at random is there any common problems that cause this like loose connection or something um or maybe even like i would just say i'm not the light expert here but like you know you could have like a more fundamental problem i would think with the board what do you think dr coco well, this is a led bar fixture so yeah the first the first thought that i have is is it happening to all of the bars all six bars or to only some of them Good question um, you know that helps dial it in there's a couple of of key potential weak points on the fce 6500 specifically first place i'd check is where what i call the octopus cable connects to each individual led bar and make sure that that connection is secure there are these silly little like push and twist 
connections and they can come loose or be like right on the edge and maybe that's connecting or disconnecting um it's a six bar fixture i believe there's three driver channels so if it's a driver problem you're going to notice it happening to sets of bars so two of the bars at a time um should sort of show those issues if you have a something going on with the driver itself um so and if it's overall like over all of the light all of the leds you know i'm gonna i'm gonna look at sort of the common supply i mean that's like power supply potentially or something else like that because or basically by the time the power gets to the driver it's going to be split into three channels and treated sort of differently from there out to the bars where the bars connect and then you know anything that happens on a smaller scale like that but it could be something that's still happening in the driver i suppose um but I, i'm curious so if we can follow up with with don't forget saying, it's, yes make, it's all all six bars you can't assume that it's not your wiring to make sure you know everything on that on that breaker and because there could be other appliances drawing mm -hmm. you know, more power than you think like something's starting up or a compressor starting up on a refrigerator or something per se and that yeah. could be drawing just like too much power at the same time and that led is just kind of dimming because it doesn't have the power at that moment yeah, yeah martin confirms it's all six bars uh, yeah which just i agree with spartans talking about sort of a power supply issue that could be affecting the overall performance of, of the fixture um and that could be you know maybe just that circuit in your house is getting overloaded and you're basically browning it out it could still be something in the driver but it would be you know early on in the in the in the process basically and i, I haven't seen that it's far more common to have problems occur to individual bars or to like two of the bars on on one channel so i wish i could give you better I did have nice. a driver fail on me. It was, uh, I was an HLG 550, an old light, but it was a meanwhile driver and they honored the uh, warranty on it and they just sent me out a different driver. Nice. And, but it was kind of similar kind of sounding. It, the whole thing would just, it was just flashing. It would just go like, it would just on off, on off, on off, on off, on off. Hmm. And, um, but it was a driver. That, issue. that could be a driver problem. But he's talking about it started going dim and bright at random. Yeah, he also said he had uh, two in the same room. The new one is fine. The old one has only one, only just started doing this a few days ago. Oh, okay. That's and they're both in the same outlet room, probably, the same circuit. Yeah, presumably. That's interesting, that uh, Martin. The fact that I don't know what it is, it does sound like it's probably a problem with the light itself. Um, so, you know, I'd, I'd probably pursue a warranty claim. And if you have issues with Mars, I'd be happy to help you out, get that cleared up. Because I, I look at that. People with their, their lights so valuable to listen to the podcast. Look at that. <laughs> we have well, your I back. Wanted to, if I could just take a minute, I wanted to bring up one subject. Um, sure. I was DM'd today by somebody who follows the show and is a fan and they were asking me my opinion on a breeder here in the state of michigan it was fresh coast seed company uh, because he felt like he was being scammed and so long story short 
they reached out to the breeder on Instagram. They um, were asking about a particular strain. They agreed on a price. Uh, he paid with cash app and then never heard again from him after reaching out several times didn't get a response for over a month to finally get a response asking for 75 more dollars for shipping insurance and of course they didn't <laughs> weren't gonna give no 75 dollars after not getting responded to for a, a month and um, so they reached out to me and asked if i had any information so i asked them you know can you send me the exact account where you who you, you reached out to and it was you know and I, I what i believe is a scam account it's the it is the the same icon of fresh coast seed company uh, the name said fresh coast but it was like underscore three and um i'm seeing in the chat someone says that fresh coast sold the bunk clones i i don't know man i i don't know the fresh coast people like personally but i know they've had a good reputation as far as coming up with some good strains here in michigan and this is the first i've heard of that and when I saw this profile that was sent to me too, it had only a few, and he even, the person even admitted to me that they noticed that it only had a few posts and it seemed weird, but they knew of a friend who had a business that does the same thing and didn't think it was that weird. But I'm just saying, if things are weird online, they probably are. I agree. Yeah, don't, don't ignore, don't ignore those red flags and um, use services. If you're going to do pays, I think there's one, like, I think PayPal is one that has some kind of a, you know, if you somehow don't get your product, you can recover your money. I just, um, just be really careful out there, folks. If you're out there trying to get seeds, um, make sure you're talking to who you think you're talking to. Um, if they have shows or like myself, that's why I opened this show. I kind of made that comment about, because there's a lot of people that impersonate my name online too. And uh, I mean, on social media is that I don't even have social medias on. So um, I just want to put that little, just uh, just put that warning out to people is like really be careful with your yeah. money especially nowadays it's, it's worth less and less <laughs> <laughs> it's more and more common i definitely i definitely want to emphasize that statement like you know like spam you know people think like oh i'm never going to fall for spam or a scam or something like that but some of those some of those scams are pretty uh, insidiously easy to fall for um, or because they exploit something that, you know, you're already thinking is normal or something. Well, I would like usually, a you lot of buying something from a vendor. I mean, we got to, well, yeah, but I was going to say, a lot of I should say. Have, have a webpage. <laughs> a lot of them have a yeah, webpage exactly. and then it'll say, you know, here's my, you know, contact us and there'll be their social media and click on that. And that's going to get you to their, you know, official page. Usually no, not everybody is going to be that way, but a lot of them, I mean, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Seed person one says, Dutch Coco, could you explain what is in Rapid Start? It doesn't have an ingredient list on it. I, I'd love to be able to explain more. I can tell you that there's um, rooting enzymes. Um, I, 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 we can't really, I actually talked to them uh, this a couple of years ago, like mm, more than a couple of years ago. This is like 2018, I think I had a long call. Is that a Gromore product? Is that the it's, company? Uh, no, it's G or GH. GH, okay. It's a GH product. Um, they won't, they will not disclose what is in Rapid Start. They won't even disclose sort of the type of product that, that Rapid Start is. Um, 
and uh, yeah, there's no ingredients list. Um, it, it, it definitely was shown. I did some um, sort of personal trials with it, growing with and without it, and have a lot of experience that with other people using it for specific things. It's expensive. It definitely helps fill in in roots, um, and it, it's got to be enzymatically based enzymes sort of producing that they want you to be really careful with it that little stopper that comes in the bottle you should keep that and keep it sort of sealed that way um a lot of growers sort of talk about that and keep it cool they mentioned like don't let it get too hot um but they wouldn't they wouldn't tell me what was specifically in it um you don't need it. You can grow without it. it. They also said some other things to me on that phone call that that sort of aren't necessarily true. Um, they said it has a very small impact on pH, but it does lower pH measurably. And it says it has a very small impact on EC, but it, it does raise EC sort of measurably. They suggested that you add it before yeah that you add it after everything else and after ph adjustment um and i i understood that adjusting ph after sort of adding the rapid start would be bad for the rapid start or would somehow um prevent the rapid start from from working to its full capacity which also makes sense if it's sort of enzyme based um but yeah, I'd love to be able to say more than that, other than it's, it's the one that I think you could do without, um, but I do like it if you can do it. Whoa, sorry, my phone's ringing. Seed person also just made the comment that on your recommendation, um, you know, they started using it. So, and yeah, uh, I, I recommend that... it. it. It's on my nutrient schedule and I definitely think it works. Um, I, I wish I could give a better answer. That's why I'm like... <laughs> Kind of having an eye when I called them, I tried to find out. Um, <laughs> but it, that's the reality with some of those products. With a lot of the products, to be perfectly honest with you, I mean, we can figure out what's in some of these things, but a lot of the companies won't tell us what's in them. Um, my the various flushing agents, for example, um, rarely tell you sort of what the active ingredient is or how exactly they're working. Um, and I've had to, to try to figure that out. Like, why would we use, for example, a uh, sledgehammer versus fluoroclean? Um, they work in very different ways and they're good for different types of, of flushing, basically. Um, but you'd never know that based on what's the label, what's on the label. They don't tell you how they work. Wiener DWC is letting us know that we shouldn't drink it. Which I agree with. Don't drink it. And seed person number one is just a sick, sick individual. They say that they keep using it because they like the way that it smells. Okay. This is like the kid in kindergarten that would smell the markers. Okay. <laughs> Looking at you, seed person one. That stuff is nasty. Hey, that's a cheap high. Okay. <laughs> stuff is nasty. But I love it. I love it. He's embracing it. He's, uh, <laughs> I, you know, we're not getting a lot of uh, questions in chat, to be honest. Does anyone else have any stories on the panel or anything like that? Yeah, I got a couple. Uh, 
in chat that I want to answer. Uh, okay, Roar asked, uh, what do I think about mycorrhizal products like Dynamico? Do I use them? I use uh, Recharge on occasion. I do like it. It's uh, more than mycorrhizal, though. So it's kind of unfair because it's got a bunch of other shit, like the fulvic acid also in it. And it's got um, kelp also in it. I'll, I mean, hell, that's the PGR. Let's be honest. So, um, yeah, I like it's got what plants crave. <laughs> it's got what plants crave, man. It's plant. <laughs> so, so my answer there is yes, yes. I and I, I believe in mycorrhizal products and organic for sure. Uh, and I think it it can help in uh, in even synthetic feed. I just don't think it's as big as of a issue because in synthetic feed you got to remember you're feeding them already available nutrients. So it might help with water maybe or it might help with some other things with like some, what my mind can't give you the words for it, but the interaction of the fungi with the plant, I think turns some things on in the plant that wouldn't normally be turned on and gets different expressions. So I think that there still can be benefits that we have a hard time explaining, but can still measure in the final product or at least. Yeah. Like the immune myself. system priming and that kind of stuff, water mining and, you know, all, all phosphorus and that kind of stuff in the soil. I just see that uh, Brian420 just posted what looks like an ingredients list for Rapid Start. I'm really oh. curious where he got that. Oh, very uh, conspicuous. Uh, maybe, maybe GH is suddenly publishing these things. Um, it's, um, it's interesting with the willow bark extract because I've always heard that aspirin is really good for the plant. Yeah, alfalfa, okay. barley, and willow bark extract makes alfalfa, sense. Of course, that's tricantinol. Koji Jibs asked Spartan, oh, well, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll answer the previous question a little bit too. Um, you know, I think mycorrhizal products are great in general. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have heard my typical criticism, which is not that it's bad to use them, but just like, some cases it's kind of questionable, I think, whether or not, I think some of the bigger names like Dynamico and a few others perhaps have like done the effort and like has shown the, the math that like, you know, they're, they're selecting for species and also strains that, you know, work really well for what their given objective is. Not all mycorrhizae are the same, you know, it's, it's easy to sort of clump them all together I think they all do the same thing or function the same way. They don't. Um, and some of them just won't create relationships with certain plants. So for that reason alone, I just think it's really important to kind of, um, you know, have the right expectations going in. Kind of like with the humic fulvic question we had earlier, it's, it's kind of like, are they good for your situation? Well, what are you trying to accomplish with them? Because for example, they won't, other symbionts are like this too. They won't, um, you know, they want to develop a relationship with the plant or the development will be very um, stunted if, for example, you're applying certain nutrients at the same time, that kind of a thing, because it actually costs the plant resources to engage in the relationship in the first place. If it doesn't have to, um, then it's actually a little bit better for it to not do that in that strict sort of economic way. And that kind of stuff is interesting to consider. But generally, I support it. I do. I was reminded as you were speaking too, in my head as we were, we even used it at Mitt Mechanico and I think it helped, but I remember having a conversation with the guys there. I'm like, no guys, stop this shit. What are you doing? 
you don't need, I mean, you don't realize, but these things are pretty microscopic and you're, you're throwing fucking a cup yeah, <laughs> of yeah. fucking shit in the hole. It's like, you don't need that much. That's just so much talc powder that, you know, carrier product that that's going to clump up in the bottom. You know, don't get crazy with the, I mean, I know it looks pretty on Instagram and believe me, the people that are selling it to you love you <laughs> dumping as much as possible in there, but it doesn't, honestly, guys, it doesn't take a lot at all. I mean, you just need a little sprinkle and there's all you need. I, I swear. Yeah. Because ostensibly, you know, the, the mycelial network and the heart tig net and all that cool stuff will develop, you know, and kind of grow over the surface of the plant and then, and then grow past it if it's uh you know in our vascular mycorrhiza or something like that but um at the same time though you know not all the good guys play nicely to each other either and uh but one of the cool things that i do want to re-emphasize as part of said is that you can get some neat um you know sort of bio priming of the immune system going on and that can be beneficial for a range of, of pests sometimes detrimental but uh you know it's probably not something you'll be able to like assess visually really dr coco you have a question don't you oh um, no that was just that was just one that was on the comment sorry <laughs> that you just posted here yes lone star larf yes thoughts on harvesting yes, thoughts. We, oh yeah you go we do the other ones i don't know did we um oh no we didn't i'm so sorry kojo jibs Spartan grown during the dry, what do you consider more important, the temp or the relative humidity? I have an AC that I can bring down to 16 degrees Celsius, but because I'm in a high humidity environment, I don't. I would say humidity because I'd be more worried about humidity because if I can't get the humidity low enough, I'm risking losing the entire crop for mold. But if I risk a little higher temperature, I'm going to lose a little flavor from turp burn off, but I can still get high on that. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to mess around with molds. So for me, I think if I can only control one thing, I want to control my humidity and keep it in the range if I can. And that's like 60%. I mean, it's not a crazy humidity. So, um, you know, 60, 50% would be even better. Maybe if you're in a high humidity environment, but, uh, I'm a little bit confused by that part of the question. Like, it sounds like you can run your AC pretty cold, but you're not going to run it pretty cold because you're in a high humidity. You know, if you run your your AC, that's going to be a dehumidifier. I mean, the AC right, will dehumidify be. your space. So I don't I don't know why you wouldn't run it in the high humidity space. Uh, that didn't make sense to me. So I'm a little bit twisted around in the question. I'd say run your AC. Yeah, I just kind of twisted the question so I could answer it. I guess I was like, if I can only control one thing. I'm yeah, no, I think you humidity. answered that part absolutely correctly. And yeah. I agree with you. I think relative humidity, if you can only change one or the other, I'd be like, okay, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna keep the relative humidity safe and then hold on to our hats for temperature. Exactly. <laughs> I, I agree with that, but I'm I'm just sort of like as a follow up i'm a little bit confused yeah that does why. confuse me too because this should help with both if you have the ac running it should cool the, the room and dehumidify it at the same time yeah and if you have you know if it's too hot and too wet an ac is like the perfect solution to that problem yeah. so 
maybe fans um, going around in there to try to get air movement, but yeah, air conditioners do a surprising amount of of dehumidification. Um, like when the the lights are on in a commercial facility, the air conditioners are doing most or all of the dehumidification. The dehumidifiers, if they have them, generally are, are for when the lights go off and there's you know less need for the air conditioner, so the air conditioner goes off. And then the dehumidifiers have to sort of take over that load. So humidifiers are very efficient um, at dehumidifying, especially, you know, in the danger zone for cannabis. Like if it's 70% humidity and you turn on an air conditioner, most of the work that that air conditioner does is going to be dehumidification work. Um, most of the energy is actually going to be invested in that dehumidification work. Um, once the D once the relative humidity is, is less. So like down the fifties and the forties, then, uh, you know, an air conditioner doesn't dehumidify nearly as efficiently. Um, so it, it's usually, it won't get you into trouble like on the low side by running it too much. So, so Coco Jim says at 16, I get about 50% relative humidity. Okay. So what is 16? It's like 50, 60 something, right? I'm going to look it up right now. I don't know. What is 16 CNF? I think it's, it's just about 60. Let's see. I'm duck, duck going right now. 60.8. That's damn good, man. Oh. It's like he does this a lot or something. <laughs> <laughs> like I was just kind of spitballing, but I was happy. That's pretty good. That. That's pretty good. I'd be okay with that. Um. So, yeah, then, you know, if you're at, at, at 16 Celsius, 60 degrees Fahrenheit and 50% relative humidity, you better probably back off a little bit, but it sounds like it sounds like you're pretty much right there. Also, Kojo just reminded us that um, there was a little bit more to the question continued in chat, which was that they don't have a humidifier. Um, at 16, I'm able to achieve about 15% relative humidity. Should I maintain or try to push for more humidity? So this is the opposite of what I think Spartan first started answering. So Spartan, yeah. what happens when your humidity is too low? Should you try to, to work it back up? I don't think 50 is really that problematically low, but. So yeah, the, and if it's 50, I would just, when I harvested my plant, I would leave more leaf material on it. And that's going to take, you know, it's going to create more humidity, I think in your room. But yeah, I, I would, if you don't have, well, you could do a humidifier, I guess. I don't really like, adding. I don't like that plan. I don't like adding. Yeah. I don't like adding. It depends on how low though. I mean, if you're in the forties, I'm adding humidity, but uh, I want to be. Well, I would turn down the air conditioner in that point. Um, I'd accept it to be a little bit warmer. Like I'd let it get up to 65 and I bet if you yeah. let it get up to 65 Fahrenheit, the humidity would be up closer to 60. So if you let it, um, you know, get up to 18, 19 Celsius, then you might find sort of a, 
a sweeter spot to operate in. I was just agreeing with you. Sorry, I was muted. But I would say I wouldn't want to go much higher than 19. I would rather just have dryer, you know, yeah. take them down and jar them earlier or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd rather be faster to, with the dry, to be honest with you. I'd go, I mean, it, it's safe, right? There's sort of a dangerous side, and then there's like a, a, a damaging side in terms of damaging to the flavor or damaging to the cannabinoids or whatever. But, um, I'd rather error on that side than the dangerous side for mold. I agree. And I just want to shout out our mods. They're working hard tonight. Our mods you guys. are, are rocking <laughs> What happens when you have such a popular show? You see, it's I like guess. you get all these people trying to, to, to sell things, sell like prostitution and pornography and drugs and all sorts of stuff, you know? Oh, they're calling for uh... constant vigilance. Yeah, it's sad that people are people are deleting in the comments, which is good. But who? Why would anyone call for anyone to go to prison? That seems weird. What about Bob? Asked most of my plants are doing okay, but the ones from my first breeding project looking funky. New growth looking twisted and folded. Strain specific. Wondering if too much nitrogen. I presume they are dark green. I assume he means the foliage, which is usually a great sign. And dark green generally means a lot of nitrogen, but uh, this is going to be tough to say anything confident of based on only those those descriptions. I'd like to see agreed pictures and stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I also agree with that. Um, the twisted and folded kind of troubles me because that wouldn't be nitrogen. Ni the, the like the physical kind of change of nitrogen is you might get a claw, you might get claws at the end of the leaves, but twisted and folded that's like ph or a root problem going on that's not it's probably ph for some reason i started to think reveg it could yeah i, yeah, I, I mean when know. he maybe that's because he's talking about his first breeding project or something are are, are these old plants have you they've been through stuff or are these like new seeds that you're just growing but from your first breeding project um new growth looking twisted and folded folded yeah that's that's usually, I mean, like, not to be the guy with the hammer that looks like everything is a nail, but, like, in my mind, I, I think of, like, some, you know, some really big no-nos, some some pathogens or some mites or things that can cause twisted or folded growth. That's true. You're right. But there's also, it could also be something totally abiotic as well. Yeah, it's just hard to really know without a visual. And even then, you won't necessarily know. But I would say scope those leaves if you can, because, like, you know, I really hope it's not this, and it might not be this, but like broad mites, for example, you know, uh, perhaps you can get them, but then you'd expect them on other plants too, you know, because yeah. they get around. Growers always have their own idea about what might be causing it. And, and it, <laughs> they'll, they'll tell you that based on how they describe the problem. Um, it yeah. almost seems like, what about Bob is sort of thinking it's genetic, that the ones from his one breeding projects are looking different from maybe other breeding projects or other seeds that he's growing. Um, I, I, I say he's got some photos. I'm not. I'm yeah, not sure it would be, be good to see some photos seeds. or to um, follow up with us in, in another platform. One of the top things about doing this uh, chat Q&A is they can't post question or pictures in this chat. 
Um, so like the, the viewers. That's probably for the best. I think we're seeing a a live demonstration about why that's a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. But at the same time, it would be nice to be able to like, you know, have what about Bob send us a picture of of this plant or this growth or something to, to share with. So. So and where should they, they share it? Going on in the chat. I, I feel sorry oh. for the podcast listeners because like we just have a, a war breaking out amongst the, the spammers versus the mods and the mods are winning, of course. Oh, so they're, blood winning, they're winning so, blood so, so hard. It's, it's they like, have all the weapons at their disposal. Well, uh, what about Bob? If you, sh- if you follow me on Instagram at sync angel, you can send me a message and I'll see if I can port that over to my computer. Um, so yeah, since I have uh, the host control, I can easily share it and we could discuss that. Um, if you don't, I don't know what other platform. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and, or just send me there on Twitter. It's also at Sync Angel and I could just access that on the app on my computer as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> shout out to, Those are some other. <laughs> shout out to our buddy Steve Potenponics in chat, man. He is <laughs> I'm enjoying watching chat as a spectator sport right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, spectator sport, yes. I'm I'm rooting. And I love the fact that it tells you which mod got the kill each time. Yeah, it does. I got the kill. You know, Tau got the kill. Like, boom, boom. Keeping (laughs) Scar over here. I get that. They're fighting over here. These mod pokers, you know, taking names at this point. Literally taking names, yeah. (laughs) Good job, guys. Good job. Keep us keep keep this a family friendly show, right? <laughs> well, guys, I'm see, gonna have to jet out of here soon. I see it's getting close to the time I got leaving. These dogs are driving me nuts. So he's literally sitting on my feet. I don't know what is going on with him today, but uh, they must <laughs> have to go to the bathroom. So I'm gonna have to jump out of here, guys. But it was this was a great show. It felt like we were just hanging out and shooting the shit. So I really loved it. And um so here we go. That's another one, guys. Uh, we miss you, Jack, but uh, we can still do it. We can still do it. <laughs> it's yeah. all about the whole team Jack. effort. <laughs> so anyways, thanks. It was hang- awesome hanging with you guys. Thanks, chat. Um, even the haters, man, whatever. You you got your attention, and uh, it's it's good to see. It's given the, our mod some fun, some fun uh, games to play in the meantime. So shout out to you, too. Much love. <laughs> it is. It's like playing video games for the mods. Grower loves exactly. Spartan. It grows low. Everybody keep growing. So Bob did send me Bob did send me some questions and see you Spartan. Um, uh, and I'm actually looking at them right now. I'm going to put them I'm going to get them accessible in like two or three minutes. So that's how much time you need to stall for. I wish I mean you guys should stall for. We should stall for. Um, well, I've enjoyed all the questions. Chat, you've, you've picked it up. You provided us a, a wonderful set of questions for us to, to chat about today. We never know what's going to happen when, you know, Jack, which very rarely happens, but from time to time, Jack's like, okay, I'm just going to start the show and then I'm going to bail. And everybody's like, ah. So um, uh, it's fun. And I, I'm happy that uh, we got to answer all your, your questions and have sort of a, a light and fun show and you know next week we're gonna be we're gonna be gone everybody's gonna be celebrating christmas next week so we'll be back with you guys on january 1st um new year's day but certainly wish everybody a a happy christmas next week and 
Tao, it looks like, is going to show us some plants. Is that true, Tom? Yeah, this is the uh, those two autos that I... Uh, can we spotlight him? Matthew, can you spotlight Tom? Yeah, absolutely. Let's see if I can get the glare off. But yeah, these are the two uh, autoflower plants. Looking good. It's still growing. Yeah, this camera sucks. The shade sucks, but this one's definitely got some frost going. Yeah. How old are they? I don't know. I should. I didn't label them. I didn't label when they started flowering. I don't know, but they're still growing. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. It looks like we had a break. Uh, plants at that age or approximately that age always look like about two weeks, about two weeks, you know, for the next several weeks, we'll be saying about two weeks, but they look good. Yeah. I would say about good four weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I exactly. don't know. We'll see. Exactly. And it is my first real, uh, real oh, you're done? Uh, actually got them up. Yeah. I'm done. All right, Matthew. Yeah, and just in time, too. Perfect. Okay, so these are some of What About Bob's. Oh, What About Bob sent you the picture. Oh, oh. That, those are they. These three. So, yeah, so that's abnormal. <laughs> it is. Are these flowering now? Hmm. It still looks weird. Very early, maybe. Well, it would be, yeah, it would be very early and maybe looking like some kind of fasciitis, but um I I, I it's definitely some genetic issue. So I think that this is either looks like it could be somebody going through a reveg maybe but i, I think this is just a, a, a genetic issue it might be something strange like a triploidy syndrome or something yeah my given the context that we had earlier and if we get any extra context you know we can add that as well but um yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily think this is like a pathogen of some kind. It could be like Coco was saying, you know, like some sort of odd expression. Um, and I definitely do see that. I've definitely seen that before. It does look disconcerting. Sometimes like the plants will like enter a state like this and then kind of like, as, as many people will describe it, like grow out of it and just kind of like returns back. You know, that might happen. But um, yeah, it was kind of weird. That is like a glitch in its reproductive sort of vegetative. It's almost like a, a reveg sort of burp or something that they go through. Like a sport mutation kind of thing, sort of feel like some sort of something in the genetic expression got sort of garbled kind of, Yeah. but not, not too much, but just enough. So it looks like it's, it's been flipped. This plant looks like it's early in flowering to me am i correct about that what about bob do we know the answer to that question we do not oh um no still in veg no still in veg still in veg 
Lodestar Larf asks if you fed any LSD. Oh, I'm sorry, top feed. <laughs> Very different. Yeah, well. I'm not sure. Keep growing it. See if, see what happens. Um, well, I wish I had more to say about that, but it's tough to tell. <laughs> yeah. I'm just reading, catching up with the, the chats. I don't think that's that's not classic CalMag. Um, yeah, it looks more like like Reveg or, or some sort of plant that's entering flowering oddly, um, but apparently still in veg. So, and has it been that the whole life or did it just start developing like that more recently? I mean, it's a fairly mature plant. Still getting 18. What about Bob says? He says, thanks. Yeah. Was there any, was there any changes in feeding like a different nutrient? That's a good question. This is from his breeding project. So now if it was like mislabeled seeds or something. Mm -hmm. All right. I wish we had a better yeah. explanation for that. I don't think yeah, that's just the, I mean, well, let's ask Bob. Has anything been like sort of radically out of whack in your grow recently in terms of, of like temperature, climate, um, nutrients, media, and anything? That yeah, they say like a pH swing might do that, right? They were in dimmed light two days ago or two days before transplant. Then it started. So started with transplant now they were the plants were in dim light two days before transplant so i guess transplant did happen and then this started this uh gnarling okay how how far past transplant are we now bob that's, that's because now i'm thinking anytime transplant gets mentioned we got to suspect root damage could be a, a an issue and yeah. mm -hmm. root damage can cause some pretty funky weird things to happen to plants um so is that does that line up what about bob is it possible that, that root damage could have preceded these issues and then triggered them or even if like the new soil was radically different or radically hot it could funk with it right all yeah, the other plants definitely and it could be a plant by plant thing this could have been something that just happened yeah. to one plant or just happened to two plants yeah or maybe it happened to all of them but the other four like tolerated it enough um it's been about one week since transplant so have, most of these symptoms have shown up since the transplant i i would i would start to suspect that the transplant may have been an issue and, and to get back incidentally to the product we were talking about a little while ago this is one of the times that using a root stimulator um, could potentially help the plant recover. Root damage, though, if that's what it is, sets plants back a lot, and and it's kind of hard for them to keep up. But if that's what it is, you don't have to beat yourself up about anything else, or kind of treat keep trying to diagnose it either. Bob with one O mentions that all the other plants doing fine in the same conditions. About one week since transplant. And they say that, yes, it is possible. Based That's the most likely thing that we've talked about so far, I think, with that one. 
Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Steve Potenponics asked me if I saw their post about mosaic virus and what I thought about compared to my experiences. Uh, yeah, and I think if I remember correctly, that was about, um, I think I might have even commented, but like, for those who don't know, you know, we talked a little bit, somebody else asked about like, uh, um, you know, what is it like when you get like a plant and the leaves like kind of very, with very great contrast and very like, uh, what do I want to say, sort of like strict lines, you know, sometimes you have like green and then like yellow, like chlorosis. And they're wondering if, you know, if that's like mosaic virus or something. And many people will misdiagnose it. Um, and that's actually not the case. That's usually like a copy mutation, I think. A little sport mutation, kind of little, little weird thing like that. Usually it's no problem. But then you also get something that other people also call variegation. And technically it is variegation. It is a special kind. It's called being modeled or M-O-T-T-L-E-D model, modeling or or uh, mosaicism, <laughs> and that is usually, you know, a little bit uh, more nefarious, and um, people need to know the difference, and I would agree with what Steve was sharing, was that uh, sort of like, almost like a, almost like a tie-dye mixture kind of uh, look to it, where like the yellows and the greens are kind of like mixed together in kind of irregular blotches, um, you know, kind of looks like a Pollock painting, um, that's when you have, you know, that could be very well a, a sign of like a pathogen, like a virus. So yeah, you should definitely be looking around and being able to tell the difference between those two things. Although if you see, if you can, you see something weird like that, and if you can get access to some way to test, um, it could be in your best interest to do that. Although that can be expensive and not accessible. I guess it's more of a commercial thing. Oh, no, the, they're asking about my question about, or for labs, um, lactobacillus and uh, healing damaged plants or, or resing or reviving, resurrecting uh, recently dead ones. If they're actually totally dead, I'm not sure, you know, if I want to be technical and literal with the answer to that question. But um, more and more, I do see like examples where people are using microbes for beneficial effects, um, like, even against things like viruses. And, although I'm not sure that it like, I don't think it really gets rid of the virus usually, but in some cases, and also there are different viruses so some strains might be like less virulent and others might be a lot more virulent. So like really damaging and stunting of the plant where others might be kind of mild uh, because viruses replicate so much. So you get that a lot um, with like the mosaic virus group and, and a bunch of other viruses too. Um, so sometimes microbes, because of that immune system priming we were talking about and some other factors, they can kind of like uh, neutralize some of the negative effects that a virus might have um, as a result of it kind of um, making use of all the machinery in the cells. But uh, I don't really know a whole lot about it in, um, in, in specific. I'm not sure anyone really does, but I'm excited to see more of that kind of stuff become uh, sort of more more research and more, more obvious um, in that kind of research. Cool. Um, we're getting close to the end. Do we want to? I think we got there. I think we've pulled this, this sled across the finish line or gotten close <laughs> enough now that we can, <laughs> we can lead into our, uh, 
our outros or exit speeches or whatever the hell we call these things that we do at the end. Yeah, I agree. Um, so Tao. Matthew Gates, thanks for bridling the show today a little bit. Um, we'll put you at the range. It's probably a good idea. Shout out to everyone who came up on panel and everyone in chat. And I hope Jack feels a lot better by next week. And um, everyone have a great week. I'm the American one on YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore a Keens on the IG. So if you want to ask me anything, or you can find me there. So yeah, have a great week and we'll uh, catch you next week. Peace. Absolutely. Grow our love, Tao. That's awesome. And Dr. Coco. Indeed. I want to shout out Tao. Tao is at like at every single community event that I go to. Somebody's doing a show, Tao's at the show. Somebody's doing having a live chat, Tao shows, Tao shows up in the live chat. He's always there, always sort of spreading the good vibes and, and the grower love and all that. So I want to let you know that, that it's really appreciated and, and everybody loves having you around. So I'm blushing. Thanks, Doc. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm just amazed. Like everybody, every time I do a different go on, like just go and watch somebody's show, Tao's talking and talking in the chat. So it's just you're just a great part of the community. And you know, being in a community, so much of it's just showing up and being part of it and being present and chiming in and and you know, participating in that. And speaking of that, we are starting our, our big sort of annual grow challenge. We do three of them, but our like flagship is the New Year's grow challenge. It starts on January 1st. And this is the last show of the year, guys. You know, our next show here, our next Growing My Fellow Grower show is going to be in 2023. It's actually going to be on January 1st. It's going to be on the day that then New Year's grow challenge starts. So you don't want to have, you know... Uh, just a, a sad look on your face and a bunch of FOMO from not being part of the NYGC when we when we meet up next time. So get your grows cleared out, get some seeds or cut some clones with us on January 1st. And it's going to be a lot of fun, always free to join. And it's just a, a big grow along. I'm going to be growing at least four different plants in this. Plus the we're doing the, the one cola challenge, which is growing a plant that's only one cola. Um, like no side branching at all. So that's going to be fun. Um, girl, out to everybody in the chat. They kept us, you know, busy with interesting and, and fun questions. Um, Matthew Gates, thanks for stepping in and being the host. When, when Jack says he's not going to be around, I always get like this panicked feeling like, oh no, I'm going to have to host. And I'm like, oh no, Matthew's going to be, <laughs> we'll make Matthew be the host. So I, I love the sort of you're being the responsible one on those duties as well. And um, yeah, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to everybody. We will see you on the other side. Yeah, I look forward to it. I appreciate it a lot. It was very enjoyable. Um, again, for those who are just joining in, my name is Matthew Gates, Pest Mitigation. You can check me out for professional inquiries at zenthanol.com. If you have questions like these, you can fill them up in the chat next time we meet, or you can uh, hit me up over at my social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram, which is at SyncAngel. And uh, I really did also enjoy the chat questions quite a bit, a lot of really good questions. Um, and uh, to answer uh, the question, which I think is a really good one, from Ponics, there are a bunch of new pests that you should be looking out for. There's some termites, some borer beetles, polyphagus borer beetles, and some bud rot pathogens you can check out in my Botrytis presentation on the FCPO2 channel on YouTube. 1.30 p.m. PST uh, on the 22nd of December. 
this upcoming Thursday. Um, Brewers love everyone.